Okay, so we're going to get started with Rabbi Ben Sion Schaefer, who I do call yourself the director of the Shmooz, the originator, the CEO. <laughs> okay, whatever, you, it's either one or all the above, it's all good. What's that? All of the above. All the above. Amazing. And um, I'm very excited to have you on to discuss your newest book, The 10 Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. Um, we also, this is, you don't know this. But when my husband and I were first married, we lived in Passaic, and my husband came home one week with a CD <laughs> from this Rabbi Schaefer person. And this is before podcasts were a thing. So Rabbi Schaefer, you were like basically our first podcast. We used to listen to your the schmooze all the time mm -hmm. inside the house when we were newlyweds. So this is a very full circle moment here, which I think is very cool. Okay. I hope it was well received. I, mean, I have to ask your husband, actually. You have to, we'll, uh, we'll discuss that after with him. The okay. <laughs> Oh, very much so. It was, every time there was a new one, he'd come home and be like, I got another one. It was very exciting. So, yeah. So, you know, when I got the book, I I, I knew that we had always found your your work to be, like, very, for people who haven't necessarily listened to your shiurim, they're, they're interesting, they're full of stories, they're full of lots of interesting details, um, you know, beautiful sources, pulls together in a place where you feel like you actually have something specific and clear that you want to take into your life. But I didn't necessarily know, um, not, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into a book. And I, I just have to say that my experience about reading this book is it is so readable. <laughs> and so often books about marriage are, can feel very dry, can be, feel very like textbook. Um, but I think because of the same dynamic, there's so many great stories, there's so much interesting research, there's so many things that just keep it very, very engaging. So um, I'm just excited to hear about that. Um, so I was hoping you could just start by sharing a little bit of your background, kind of, and maybe how that led you into choosing to write this book. Okay, that's a fair question. So as you mentioned, the Shmuz really is a very broad, hashkafic base uh, shear, and it deals with topics from all issues, all things that typically, what I would call most of the issues that are from Jews should be thinking about, but unfortunately typically were not. Now, because the Shmuz gained popularity over the past uh, maybe 15, maybe 20 years by now, <clears throat> what happens is people call me with all types of questions, issues, problems, and over the past 15 years, more and more couples have been coming to me with their issues in the marriage, and I began to put together a very clear commonality and a very clear pattern. I would get a couple in front of me, and I cannot tell you how many times I would look at them aghast, and I would say, do you guys understand what you're doing? Do you understand what your words are creating? Do you understand the damage you're doing? And so many times I would sit there with my jaw and just wide open. And the reason I wrote this book is because over the past 15 years, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples. And so many times they do things without understanding, without realizing that damages the marriage. And I put together the 10 really dumb mistakes because, again, I think it chronicles many of the inadvertent but really dumb mistakes that we all really typically do and I hope to have gone through it you know give a certain perspective and ability to put things into into its proper perspective and hopefully to avoid those 10 really dumb mistakes mm -hmm. yeah and I'll just say as a marriage coach there were many times where I was underlining things saying yep I remember hearing this from no I only coach the women mm -hmm. but right like yep I heard that one I've heard that one yep we've discussed that one so definitely we're, we're seeing similar things I have to say you know I, I want um, to interject something right now on that point you coach the women now I wrote the book very very specifically with eyes on both sides and I'll explain to you what I mean you see if I'm speaking to a man 
I can explain to him the issues. Maybe I could help him understand what his wife doesn't understand. And maybe if I'm speaking to a woman, I could help her understand what she doesn't understand about a man. But here's the problem. The problem is a marriage requires both sides to understand what's going on. Let's see what's something called communication. Now, every woman, if you'd ask any woman I know, what's the most significant ingredient in a successful relationship? Invariably, the answer is going to be communication. Ask a woman, what's the most significant ingredient for a successful relationship? The answer is communication. Ask a man, what is the most significant ingredient to a successful relationship? I've not yet heard the word communication. Maybe one out of a hundred, two out of a hundred. Now, it's a rather curious fact, and that is probably the most common complaint that marriage therapists hear from women is, we never talk, we never talk. And the most common complaint that marriage therapists hear from men is, all we do is talk, talk, talk. Now, somebody's got it right and somebody's got it wrong. What is it? And I believe the issue is one of the core differences between men and women. And women bond, women connect via communication. And I'll give you a very simple example. If you had a bad day at work, a woman, you had a bad day at work, something happened, a coworker, whatever it may be, and what's the first thing you're going to do? The first thing you're going to do likely is call up your friend to talk about it. A man has a bad day at work, again, a coworker, whatever it may be, the last thing he's going to do is call anybody to discuss it. He's going to go into his cave, he's going to think about it, he's going to dwell, and that is a key distinction between men and women in communication. Women speak to connect, to bond, they share things, they emotionally process things, they identify their emotions through speech, and typically when a woman talks over her issues or problems with a friend, she'll feel better. Typically, if a man were to talk to his wife about the problems, issues, or stuff going on in marriage, he'll feel much, much worse about it. And this is one of those dichotomies that once you get it, life is a lot simpler and a lot easier. Women need that communication. Men typically don't. Now, as long as both parties understand that, life is sweet. Why? Because he learns that he has to communicate with her. He has to learn how to listen. He has to learn to share. She learns that he doesn't have the same need for communication. The reason why he doesn't share as much with her as she would like isn't because he's cold, callous, and cruel. It's that he just doesn't function that way. As long as both parties understand that, life is a lot easier. So when I wrote the book, I had in mind both men and women specifically for that reason, because it's not enough for me to teach a man what his wife needs. I have to allow the woman to understand what she doesn't understand about her husband, because, again, every issue has both sides of it, and both sides have to deal with it. So for that reason, I didn't do it only for men or for women. People ask me, why don't you write a separate book for men and for women? I think that would be disastrous. The idea is for both parties to understand what they need for a functional, successful marriage. Yeah, and I think what's also really helpful with that is that is that it gives us, we also need the self-awareness, meaning as a woman, you don't even necessarily see yourself, you for sure don't see yourself from the perspective of a man who's trying to deal with you, right? And so hearing about it as this is the way you work, this is the way he works, also helps you understand the way you work, right? which I think is really important. I I do want to say, because I know that there are a lot of women who listen who the first thought is, okay, but my husband's not going to read a book about marriage. So what do I do? And what's interesting that I've seen (laughs) is that Often when they start, they're listening to the podcast or they're doing coaching with me or with someone else. So they're getting involved in some kind of work that's allowing them to drop a lot of these frustrations about how their husband's showing up because they're understanding him better. Then he kind of starts like looking around and being like, you know, these are the ones where she says, you know, my husband started listening to the podcast with me or, you know, he wants to know if there's a book you recommend or a podcast for men that you recommend. Like, not that that's necessarily always where it is, but one of the things that, that helps me understand is that we sometimes talk to process our emotions. Usually if a man's asking for advice, he's making sure he's asking, tell me if this, if this resonates and if you feel this is correct, 
He's asking for advice from exactly a person and a source that he highly respects that he thinks is going to give the answer. So it's exactly. a very functional Exactly. Form of functional as opposed to emotional, functional as opposed to processing the emotions. It's strict. That's exactly what he's doing. And that's, again, why so many times conversations in a marriage become so disastrous. Probably the five words that a guy most fears are these words. Honey, we need to talk. Oh, no. What that means is, I'm in trouble, I did something wrong, Things because what she means is she wants to talk about the relationship and how she's feeling and how, th- because she'll feel better about it, and when she does it, A, she connects, she bonds, B, any issue she's able to smooth over, but what he hears immediately is, I failed, I didn't do good enough, I messed up, and more than that, invariably, this is so, I, I, I would call it humorous, but it's sad, it's invariably the woman will pursue doggedly that conversation. The man will avoid it like the plague. If they have the conversation, she feels much better, he feels much worse, and they're more disconnected typically than they are connected. Now, it's not an easy thing to solve, but the first part of it is understanding conversation between men and women and what role it plays, how it functions within their psyche and their emotionality, and understanding the role of communication. When you understand it, it's a lot easier to deal with it uh, even still, it's quite a challenge, but Lamaisa, it's a lot easier to then take your role more seriously, understand your spouse's reactions, and you're able to work work around these things much more much more effectively. Yeah, and I appreciate they're saying that it, it's still a challenge. It's not meant to be that we understand right. it and then we move on and there's nothing else. Like this is, as you repeat many times in your in your book, this is an opportunity for growth, right? Our our relationships are supposed to help us evolve as individuals and stay focused on our own growth. Um Right. Yeah, because I think sometimes we're just, there's like a sort of a fantasy that like if everything was, if we were doing it right, it would never be challenging. Right, right. And, and you know, that's a very important point because typically, certainly in the beginning of marriage, you know, Chos and Akala come in with these rosy eyeglasses, everything's going to be great. I want you to understand living together with another human being, no matter who, no matter what, no matter how, is a very difficult process. Each of us have our own quirks, idiosyncrasies, ways of doing things. And I don't care how much alike a husband and wife are, they're vastly different. Different temperaments, different ways of doing things, different approaches. And when you meld together two lives, you're demanding so much integration, so much compromise, that it is a very, very difficult situation. To make it much worse, men and women are vastly different. So you're asking them to live in the closest proximity, share their lives together when they're so different by nature. There's so many issues they're going to have to juggle. So therefore, it is a real challenge. But again, the more you work on the functional parts of marriage, the love in the marriage and the relationship, the more you're bonded as a unit, the easier it is to negotiate. But at the end of the day, it is a real challenge creating a successful, happy marriage. Mm-hmm. One of the things you discussed in, in the book that I would love to just have you sort of flesh out a little bit more here, or not more, but you know, bring to the podcast, is this dynamic between love and respect. Um, I, this is a concept that I've heard many times, and I have to say that I feel like in, in the book you made it so concrete and clear, um, and this is something that I definitely see come up. So I would just l- love to hear that, that dynamic. I'm sure you know what I'm, what okay. I'm talking about. I, I do, but so really I would frame it a little bit. I would step back for a moment. There are three components, three pillars to a successful marriage, commitment, love and learning to live together. Commitment comes from the knowledge that this is the right one that Hashem determined for me, the perfect match. may not be ideal right now in the sense that she's everything I was looking for, everything I wanted, but ideal match for me, perfect for our growth together, the perfect match. That's the commitment part. Love in the marriage is the glue. That's what the relationship, that's vital because the success of your marriage is 
really hinges on that. If there's love in the marriage, every issue you can negotiate. My way, your way, we find a way. If the love starts to wane, forget it, you are toast. Learning to live together is the very most difficult part because many couples are committed and they love each other, but they can't live together. Now, here's really where respect comes into play because you see, there are many tools that bond. And in the book, I outline them and working on the romantic part of the relationship and the attraction, the friendship and the appreciation and the touch and physical intimacy. Those are things that most couples are able to work on and they're able to really, you know, work, use pretty effectively. The problem is when you're living together with another human being, the respect piece is critical, is essential. Number one, I can't love you if I don't respect you. But even if I could, you sure can't love me if I don't respect you. But here's the problem. We are called upon to negotiate so many differences, so many choices. There are only so many resources. We're either going to your parents or Shabbos or mine. We're either going to spend our money this way or that way. We're either going to vacation here or not vacation. There are only so many things that we're going to do. There are so many choices. And respect in the marriage is one of the first things that go. And inadvertently, many times couples will be in love. And they really are committed. But the respect starts to fall apart and before you know it they become very very distant respect means please and thank yous respect means recognizing that you're a human being with all the rights of a full half of this marriage meaning to say i don't have veto power even if i think i'm right and you're wrong even if i know that i'm right and you're wrong i don't have carte blanche i can't say this is absurd we can't do it this way has to be my way i can't tell you how many times when i see couples acting and i want to say are you guys friends well but if i let it bounce the checks we're gonna go broke i get it you have to negotiate that. You have to work that out. But you're not in charge. You're not the boss. There's no one here. You know, I'll, I'll make it very clear. I have an example. I think it makes it even more clear. Imagine the following. Imagine Shem Kipper. And imagine 2 p.m. A woman comes home from shul and she finds her husband on the couch with a ham sandwich in this hand, a cigar in this hand. He takes a puff on the cigar, takes a bite of the ham sandwich, and she looks and goes, What? Mushy, what are you doing, Shem Kipper? Stop it right now! Now, Clearly, what he's doing is wrong. I don't have to tell you that. But I'd like to share with you that she's not right either. When you enter into this marriage, you are Reim Ahuvim, best friends who love each other. Best friends are not bosses, policemen, cops, or mentors. And best friends are best friends. Now, she may find herself in a place where she says, this relationship isn't what I agreed to, this is not what I signed into, and she may have to step out. But as long as she is in this marriage, she is a best friend. Best friends do not have carte blanche, they don't have veto power, they're not bosses, and even if they're right, and clearly she's right, but she's not his boss. And she has a right to say please, she has a right to say it's ruining our home, she has a right to negotiate, but she doesn't have a right to put her foot down and demand that he stop it right now because it's absolutely usher, because that's a fine thing to do if you're a Rebbe, a mentor, a cop, or maybe a mother. But it's not a fine thing for a best friend who loves each other. And even though this is an extreme example, I think if you think about it, we see this so many times in a marriage where one party, either he or she, decide they're in charge and they're the ones who are going to keep things in order. Otherwise, things are going to fall apart. And they start acting like a boss, like a Rebbe, like a mentor, and they destroy the marriage. Because very quickly, the other party gets a message. They're not equal and they're not respected. And when you're not respected, it's very, very difficult to love your spouse And I think this is one of the keys to successful marriage. Recognize that we're equal partners and best friends who love each other and then negotiating the issues that come up in that way as best friends who love each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to that. Like sometimes when I'm working with somebody else, I'm like, usually 
a woman will be either working on the Ezer or the Connecto. (laughs) (laughs) So like, where are we, where are we on that? Like, are we really, you know, seeing ourselves as peer to peer and sometimes we're putting ourselves higher or lower? Um, And by the way, that's exactly the definition. Moral defines it. Ezer Connecto means same level and opposite in nature. Equal partners with opposite natures. Now, when you recognize that we're equal partners and we're opposite, and then you can begin. You work on the bond of love, you work on the relationship, and you negotiate life in that mode. Equal partners, best friends who love each other, and you figure out solutions. My way, your way, but one thing for sure, no one's in charge, no one's a boss, no one has carte blanche to say my way or the highway, because that works in certain relationships, as in master and slave, maybe, but certainly not in an effective marriage. Right. Not in a peer. It's like not appropriate inside of a peer-to-peer, right. peer relationship. Right. Yep. Exactly. But the thing that, but I, where I'd love to like sort of go with it further because the there's one study that you cite in the book which I thought was so fascinating, which I'd never seen this before, which was that a, a men and women were asked if you, you could live your whole life without love or without respect, what would you? Which would you choose? And the women chose love, and that men, by I'm vastly by and large said they could live without love, but they couldn't live without respect. Right. And this was a non-Jewish study. This was big from the world of secular psychology. Um, and I, I felt like that. So there's sort of two pieces. First of all, if you if you can help us to understand, because again, most of the people listening here are women. Mm-hmm. And what I hear a lot is, is disdain for a man's need for respect. Because coming from a place of not understanding it, so it sort of seems like, oh, well, it's just him and his ego. It's so childish. Like, he just right. needs to get over himself, right? Which is just really a misunderstanding. So, you know, so if we could discuss that. But I think the other piece, which I'd really like to get to, is just practically. So, you know, if a woman does understand the importance of respect, what does that look like on a practical level? On the ground, what does she do? Um, what what looks different? How does a man experience respect from his spouse? Okay, so again, the first thing to recognize is, again, men and women have different um, sensitivities and different approaches to things. And I'll give you a classic example. Let's say you have a friend who's baking a cake, and you know that if she would mix in vanilla sugar, sugar first before she add the eggs, the cake will come out better. Naturally, you tell her. And not only would you tell her, she'd feel appreciative. In fact, if you didn't tell her, you'd feel like a creep. Look, I have a better way of doing it. And if I wouldn't tell her, I'd, I'd, I would feel nasty. So you share with her. You feel good because you're helping her. She feels good because she's helped and everything's good. Try this one on uh, the male side of things. Go over to a guy changing a tire and, and tell him, you know, fella, if you held the wrench this way, you'd do, it'd be a lot easier for you. What you're doing is you're asking for a fistfight. Men do not appreciate unsolicited advice. And I can't tell you how many times women get into trouble when they're helpful. They're very helpful. They're so helpful, and what they don't appreciate is their husband isn't looking for, if I needed help, I'd ask for help. I got this. And probably one of the most demeaning things to a man is when his wife helps him do something. And he, Listen, I, I had a family member in the, who, when she would walk into the house, I would leave. Why? She so wanted to help, so wanted to be helpful that she would help. Madam, with all due respect, I know how to tie my shoes. I got this. You know, please do me a favor. And I'm not being facetious. I'm being very serious. And the fact that I find it, it's incredibly demeaning to a man. Now, even though this may be a minor example, it comes up all the time. Because if you're not, you know, let me start the other way. Judgment needs to be replaced by something very, very powerful called curiosity. 
I believe the two most important words in your marriage are the words, that's strange. You see, every scientific discovery was preceded by that expression. A fellow took chemical X, mixed chemical Y, and got A, and expected Z. Hey, that's strange. Why that come about? And that scientific curiosity allowed him to dig in, discover the process, and discover what was going on. What happens typically is husbands and men, men and women both are equally guilty of this. We look at our spouse doing something, and we judge them by our experience, and we say that's inexplicable. We rush to judgment, and we reach our judgments, which are anything but kind. If you train yourself to say the words, that's strange. Why would my husband, who's a kind, considerate guy, act in such a manner? He's normally so nice. Why would he do it? That's strange. When you say the words to yourself, that's strange, you're putting in that scientific curiosity, and then you're able to climb into his inner world and discover what he's feeling, what he's thinking. And what I guarantee you'll discover is he's not thinking the way you think. He doesn't feel things the way you feel. And when you climb into his inner world, you may actually understand them. And the problem we get into is we quickly rush to judgment. I automatically assume he's cruel, mean, or the rolling of the eyes. Oh, that's men. Who can understand men? And guys do the same thing. Oh, that's women. That's so whatever. If instead of doing that, if you say the words, that's strange, you're training yourself to open your mind up and to understand the inner world of your spouse. And with that understanding, you might actually better understand your spouse, understand what they need, what helps, what hurts. And ladies, it's the simplest thing in the world. If you want to understand what your husband likes and doesn't like, just become a scientist. Just become scientific, become curious. Why is it that he acts that way? I don't get it. My, all my friends wouldn't react that way. My sisters wouldn't react. Why is it? I'm curious. And when you say to yourself, but please say it to yourself, that's strange. And why would he react that way? You might begin to uncover he has a different emotionality, different needs, different temperament. And you might actually begin to understand your husband a lot better than you did before. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like our spouses are our best resource. You know, if we're able to pull in the claws and be calm and not be in a place that's judgmental and, and just say, pull in like, the claws why, and why be calm. I love that. Right? Pull in the claws and be calm. If I could say that, if I told that to 100 guys, I would get. <laughs> they would know what I'm talking about. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Right. And then at the end of the day, like he can, he usually. Our husbands will very happily explain it to us if they're not in trouble. And can I say one more question. point also? This is the saddest part. Yeah. I can't tell how many times I've spoken to guys who their whole life, all they want to do is make her happy. That's all I want is for her to be. And he does everything he, he knows how to do, and nothing I do makes her happy. I don't know what's with her. And it's so sad. I found this time after time a guy will take a bullet for his wife. And all she, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care about me, he doesn't do anything for me. It, it's mind-boggling. And the reason for that really has to do with gender differences. They express things differently, have different needs, have different, and both parties have to learn the other. He has to learn what she needs, she has to learn what he needs, and when you do that, when you open yourself up with scientific curiosity, that's strange. Why does he react that way? Why does she react? You begin to understand them, and suddenly life is different. You're able to actually meet their emotional needs, not hurt them inadvertently, and actually be happily married. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's go into the. I, I think I think we covered the love versus respect part. Um, how 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 does it what meaning? Okay, so she shouldn't be offering lots of suggestions and advice. And I will say that, 
you know, in the book, you talk a lot about the women's need to nurture and wanting to help. And I think that's definitely where a lot of it comes from. Mm-hmm. I also hear a lot of women saying, no, 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 I, I need I need him to change this. Like, if you're right. telling me to just accept him. So, so I, you know, I, I'm a little more maybe cynical about the motivations <laughs> than the rabbi. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think it's much more about, and not to say cynical that, you know, in that moment, she's not uh, trying to be selfish, but or it's not always from a place of wanting to help necessarily. Um so not correcting them. So if we're not correcting our husbands, it doesn't necessarily, that's, that's, that's okay, fine, that's what we shouldn't be doing. But what should we be doing? What do we need to do? How, how is respect communicated? Well, you see, I think that itself is a huge step forward. You see, listen, uh, you know, I blame both sides of the machitza equally. And men do a lot of things to mess up their marriage. But with all due respect, women do plenty as well. And this is probably the biggest thing that women do wrong. They spend their entire existence to change the husband, to make him, to mold him, to make... Leave him be. He's good enough. Do you understand the disrespect? Watch this. <clears throat> How does it feel to be loved? If I, you know, when you're loved, what do you feel? You feel accepted. You feel respected. You feel admired. <clears throat> what does it feel like when someone corrects you? You're not good enough. You're not respected. You're not admired. It's the opposite of love. The message you're giving your husband when you're changing and making him better, improving, is I don't love you. I don't respect you. I don't care for you. Now, to a woman, it may not make sense because the reason why I want to change you is because I want to love you. I'm not a cynical. I, I assume it comes from the nurturing factor. But maybe I'm wrong. But whatever it comes from, I guarantee the way it's received is nasty. It's just cruel, nasty, and mean. And I can't tell you how many times women need to change their husband. They need to, and they, it doesn't do any good. I have this little theory about marriage. Most, many marriages I know <clears throat> go through the 20-year cycle. What happens in the first 20 years, it's okay, okay. Then after 20 years, suddenly the marriage gets much better. I've found this many, many times. First 20 years, it's all right. And then after 20 years, suddenly it picks up. Would you like to know my theory why this is? For 20 Absolutely. years, she does her best to change him this way, that way, that way. And finally, she gives up. He's a stubborn ox. She stops trying to change him. And suddenly, he's a nicer guy. Suddenly so much more pleasant to live with. He wants to spend time with me. He wants to take me out. Suddenly the marriage changes and suddenly the marriage really takes on the type of flavor it should be having all along. If you stop changing your husband, guess what? Thereby, you're letting him treat you properly. You'll let him love you. You'll allow him to try to please you as he probably wants to anyway. But if you change him, what you're doing is you're poking him in the eyes, you're stabbing him. And guess what? It's no fun to be around someone who's giving you a headache all day long. Um, did I make that point clearly? Just, <laughs> Sorry. Completely, yeah, absolutely. And she's also distracting herself, I feel, from all the work that she could be doing to what, what is in her control, which might have nothing to do with him. Sometimes he's just a distraction, right? 100%. Um, yeah. I would like well, to. Well, 20 years, that's exciting. We just had our, you know, we're <laughs> coming up on 13. So I don't know what that's going to look like. Better at twenty. It's cool. Um, what about? I, I'm st- I'm still looking for the essays. Like I'm still looking for the. So I'm not correcting him. I'm not criticizing him. Let's say I've, I've hit twenty years. I'm I'm, I'm done. Do you or understand if you early. did I that? Al- early. If you did that alone, do you know how much life would change? I, it's so funny. Mm-hmm. In other words, what a man needs in the marriage to be happy is for his wife to be happy. This is one of those great secrets. I can't tell how many times a guy will say to me, I just want to be happy, and, and, and she's just not happy. Why doesn't she just stop it? And most men consider their wives their best friend. Most men want their wives fundamentally to be happy. 
And the problem is, she's nothing I do pleases her. She's always angry, she's always upset, always complaining, always bickering. Why can't she just stop it? Now again, don't get me wrong, there's a lot that men do wrong as well. And I believe I say this in the book clearly, and I'll say it here because it is, number one, it's a man's job to romance his wife. It's a man's job to let his wife know that she's precious, that she's cherished. If a man lets his wife know that she's number one in his eyes, and that he would do anything for her, that she's cherished, she will be happy, he will be happy, and the marriage will succeed. Many men fail to do that. The reason they fail to do it is not because they're not nice guys, because they don't understand what she needs. They don't understand that she needs communication. They don't understand she needs attention. And they fail in the romance department. They fail in the attention department. And as a result, she feels that she's not loved. And then guess what? She has every right then to bicker, complain, and she will, because at the core of her essence, she's unhappy. I'm assuming a man is meeting those needs, which again, many times isn't true. But if he meets those needs, if she could just lay low and not change him, then alone, I'm telling you, the the marriage changes. It's remarkable to see. She doesn't have to actively try to treat him with respect. Just stop disrespecting him and life will be beautiful. What she doesn't recognize is that she's doing things all day, every day to disrespect. What do you mean? All I did was try to tell, tell him to pick up his socks and tell him to clean up and tell him to be on time. Tell him not to, you know, that's all. I was helping him, right? I was being his Azer Kinegdo. Lady, what you're doing was poking him in the eye all day long. And guess what? You're a toothache. You're a headache. He doesn't like you. Why doesn't he? I'm such a good buster. I do everything for him. Why doesn't he love me? He doesn't love you because he can't stand. I don't want to say he doesn't like you as much as he would like to because you make it very difficult on him. Yeah. Yeah. They're suffering, I feel like. <laughs> I mean, Rabbi, you don't know anything about, about you know, my business, but literally the, the program is called How to Glow. And the main focus is the avoda of a, of a married Jewish woman to do that work of actually being happy and letting our husband see us be happy. Wow. This is like on our side, our work and on his side, like <clears throat> how much that changes, because he, as you're saying, even the, the the guy who would take the bullet, who's so dedicated to his wife, it's I, I think it's a really deep avoda for a woman to get to that place where she's she's like literally just willing to be happy where she stops moving the bar for him. <clears throat> she okay, great, finally learned to pick up your socks. Now let's start working <laughs> on this, right? Like we just can stop and say, I'm happy with this. It's work we need to do for ourselves and it's work we need to do in our marriages. So and, and by um, the way, can I interrupt for a minute? I'm very much resonating with what you're saying. There there are some times where it's almost sad. Because I've seen marriages that are very, very good, and the woman gets upset, and he gets upset because she's upset, and she just says these words, just let me quetch, please, that's all I want to do, quetch, just let me quetch. Now, it seems to be almost a need in some people to quetch, to complain. You have to recognize what he hears when you say that, but there is something, I mean, I guess men have to be a little bit tolerant of that as well. And to recognize that sometimes a woman needs to quetch, needs, I, I don't know why, it's not within my DNA, but I do have four daughters and I am, I'm happily married, so I, I do recognize that need. So it's important for a man to recognize as well that need for a woman to complain, to express herself. You see, that's one of the core differences between men and women. If a man is having a problem, he goes into his cave. If a woman is having a problem, she needs to talk about it. And so many times, if you just hang with her, just listen to her, just let her emote and understand she's not blaming you. She's not complaining about you. She's complaining. She's upset about the situation. If you know that she's going to feel better, if you could just hang with her, just steal yourself and just recognize she's not blaming you, she's not fault-finding, she just needs to express it, there are many times, if you learn to do that, that she could actually calm down, she'll feel better, you'll feel closer, and you'll be connected. So, again, it's the work on both parts. As you say, the women have to learn to just relax and, and glow, 
On the other hand, a man has to learn sometimes to just listen and be with her and just be with her in that moment to hold her hand or just be with her in those emotions because as she expresses them, she feels better and she feels more connected and life continues beautifully. 100%, 100%. And sometimes it's just a matter of just asking, like, are you looking for advice right now or you need me to just hear you vent, right? Or or I'll tell my husband, like, this is just a venting session. This is like, I don't need any feedback. You don't even need to remember what I had to say. Um, okay, amazing. So if we're going to send, so so we gave very, very clear homework for the women to just sort of keep an eye on themselves and notice how that's coming up and see if she can start to to pull back. Um, for the husbands who are listening, would you, do you, do you have, you, you talked about her feeling loved and cherished. Is there something practical that we can offer them that they could be, that they could bring into, incorporate into their relationships? That, that would that's, that, I can't make it more practical and real than that. Your job is to romance your wife. Your job is to take her out. Your job is to, or, your job is to take her on many vacations three, four times a year. And it means you find kids, you find a way to babysit. The woman's responsibility is to take care of the kids. Husband's responsibility is to take care of the dates. You have to let your wife know in large letters, in large terms, you love her, she's cherished. That means the love notes, the gifts, the cards, the flowers, all the things that a couple in love is supposed to do. I can't tell how many times guys will say, listen, if she wants to go out, let her name a place, I'll gladly take her. Wrong, you blew it. Your job is to plan the date. Your job is to buy the cards. Your job is to buy the chocolates and the flowers. Why? Because you want to give your wife that message in word, deed, and action. You love her. She's cherished. If a woman knows she's cherished, if she knows her husband loves her, life is beautiful. If she doesn't know that, the stipulagon says, it's car of the pikuach nefesh. At the core of her essence, a woman needs to be loved. A man typically doesn't have that same need. A woman has that need. If you meet that need, she'll be happy. And if you don't meet that need, she's going to be unhappy. And gentlemen, it's your job to romance your wife. It's your job to plan the date. Your job to write the cards. It's your job to make sure that that responsibility, that, that romance piece of it, and included in that is all the parts of a couple in love, it's your job to make sure that those parts are met properly. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I have one last question for you. Um, so much of this book, as I said before, it's it's backed by sources. It's backed by science. Um but one of the things that I hear a lot is from women who are saying, especially when it comes to this communication piece or, or when we just, we're describing these, these differences, they'll say, but yeah, but we're the exception, right? My husband, he's, he's kind of the emotional one. He's the one who always wants to talk. I'm the more practical one, right? And so, you know, that's always like the kind of this thing that I'm, I'm, I'm aware of and I'm balancing, which is but often, okay, I'm going to let you talk, actually. I'm not going to say my opinion. Okay, so <laughs> I'd love let me, to hear what, okay. you, what your experience has been. Okay, let me say this. <clears throat> what I did in the book was I created many stereotypes. Now, a stereotype means it's stereotypical. It means 80% of the time. It is not a claw guddle. It's not an absolute rule. And most of the time, it's true. Now, I believe it's a core tendency of a woman to need love, a core tendency of a man to need respect. Sometimes it manifests differently, and many of the stereotypes in the book are just that, stereotypical, meaning it won't apply to every couple in the same way. You see, I and any other male are very different. I have a different personality, different temperament, different nature, so obviously a woman as well is going to be different. No two human beings are the same, and therefore when you put together two very different human beings, a husband and a wife, the dynamic is going to play out in a very different way. Some of the things that I discussed, the need for connecting, or certainly the need to talk, sometimes it's reversed, but it's very, it's, it really is atypical. The typical role is the man doesn't have as, as much of a need for communication, 
The only exception, by the way, is sometimes a man has a weak or damaged self-image or self-esteem issue, then he has that need for communication, but it's more for bolstering. It's more for, because of a, an unhealthy place in, in his own ego system. Typically, a man doesn't have that need. But again, there are no hard and fast rules. The only reason I put these sort of stereotypes in the book is because it's helpful to understand, to look for in my spouse. If I know women typically need to talk more often, then when I put on my curious scientific hat and I say that's strange, I'll more likely find the trace roots and I'll more likely discover her nature. But in fact, let's say I discover it's not true. Your job is to be the best spouse you can be. You have to understand the nature of your spouse as much as you can. You have to dig into their inner world as best you can. And you have to study. And if it turns out to be that your wife is the opposite of what I described, or your husband is the opposite of what I described, well, guess what? That's the way you have to treat them because that's the way they are. The stereotypes are helpful because they create sort of personas that allow us to more easily identify. And at least 80% of the time they're true, but they're certainly not hard and fast rules. The only hard and fast rule is you have to discover the inner world of your spouse and you have to meet their needs as best you can. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much. This was great. And I'm going to show, for those of you who are watching, if the cover still looks the same, right? This is the pre-publication copy, but... I'll show it. It looks more I like this. this is what I saw. <laughs> this is what it looks like. Night. Oh, there, you've got the new one. All right. <laughs> and you can Here get... Here we go. Ten <clears throat> really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. So you guys don't have to stop being very smart couples if you're making these mistakes. You can uh, still check and see if you're making any of them. Again, I just want to say this is very readable. My copy is all marked up. I have so much underlining and notes and exclamation points on the sides. Um, so I, I I know that my audience really loves to get a good book recommendation. Okay, so and, and I have another recommendation also. Ladies, listen to me. You read, most likely your husband doesn't. So here's a little tip. You go to theshmooze.com and when you purchase a hardcover book, as a free bonus, you get the audiobook, the ebook, as well as the Marriage Transformation Bootcamp. So if you go to theshmooze.com and order it, You'll get the book. The hardcover will be delivered free shipping. And you'll also get the ebook as well as the audiobook, which you can give to your husband to listen to in the car when he runs, whenever it may be. Because men typically, I hate to say it, are illiterate, I included. But they'll more easily listen. So if you go to shoes.com, you'll, get the, you'll be able to get the book and your husband will be able to get the audiobook. I highly recommend it. It's a, very, uh, it's a lot easier for many men to listen than, than it is to read. That's a great idea. I mean, normally I just say, if you want your husband to read a book, just leave it in the bathroom, but this one has some Torah sources, so maybe yeah. not this example. Right. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. It was wonderful to have you. My pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much.